It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. It is myself, Toby Tarrant, joined by the one and only Mr. Daniel Norcross and Mr. Stephen Finn as well. And uh, Stephen Finn, Finney, let's start with you, mate. The trip to Australia is on the horizon. You're looking forward to it. Before we started recording, I just said to you, this is a good gig, this. So if you don't know, Finney's going out to commentate for TMS at the Ashes. I was like, you basically, you get to go on tour without the ball ache of actually playing any cricket. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's going to be a nice couple of months. I did my last training session at Sussex this morning and put together my gym programme and my bowling programme for over there. So I'm going to be partaking in that as well as a lot of coffee drinking and brunch eating, I'd have thought. Yeah, coffee eating and brunch eating. Look at him making it sound like he's going to be sophisticated out there. He's going to be. I'm a sophisticated man. Look at my earring. Of course I am. <laughs> you're going to be. I'll tell, you, gonna... I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what he's going to be doing. The moment they get to Adelaide, Henry Moran is going to take him to my favourite bar called Maybe Maze. Mm. I don't even have to say other bars are available because I'm not on the BBC, which is a subterranean shabine really close to the hotel you'll be staying in. And it has the greatest cocktail known to mankind called the penicillin, which is whiskey-based, right? But it has a gigantic block of ice in the middle of it. And when I went four years ago, we were in Adelaide for an inordinate amount of time for some reason because of the way the test matches went and the one day has went. And I went there about 10 times. I remember dancing on the table with the England women's team who were there at the same time. And uh, with Eleanor Oldroyd drinking many uh, penicillin on our days off. And Henry Moran will take you there and he will introduce you to the penicillin. And I tell you, it is very good for what ails you. And then, of course, you'll have to go and bowl. What? What is this idea? You have a bowling program. Have you got like various places you can go in Australia and they're going to let you just go in and bowl for an hour or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. What is. Yeah, the right where we're staying in Coogee, there's um, the Bay Oval. I think it's called the Bay Oval, which yeah, you right. just yeah. hop, hop the fence and hope that the groundsman doesn't shout at you for bowling on his <laughs> wicket. 
Who, who, I'm going to have to gonna... find one of the TMS staff to mitt or something, though, or take a pair of keeping gloves. I was going to say, aggers. I was going to say, no, no, you're no, going to have to go just bumping aggers in some nets. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Zoltzman, Zoltzman will do that. Zoltzman would love to do that. He would definitely mitt for you without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, you could actually, I mean, have you thought of like making a sort of uh, guest appearance for a grade team? No. You could get, get hold of the grade cricketers. No. Oh, they, yes. They've got a great podcast, right? Get hold of them. And go and like turn out for one of their teams just for like a weekend. I'd rather consume the contents of my bowels, if I'm being honest, Dan, than, <laughs> than go over there and get get abused by some Australian grade cricketers. I'm I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. I'd either either try and find a really high standard, or just go and bump some poor blokes in like the fourth eleven and just get just get your morale up before your big season at Sussex. It'd be superb. Uh, well, have a safe trip, Finney. Uh, enjoy the flight. What sort? Of, what sort of long distance flyer are you? Are you a are you a sleep the whole way man, or you watch four films and read a book kind of a man? I'm a this one. I will be a sleeping pill and a couple of drinks and watch Succession. Man, I think will okay. be um will be my plan. Yeah, we've go got on. 22 hours straight to. We go straight to Australia, no stopping. You doing the Perth? No, we're doing to um, Darwin and then to Sydney. So. Yeah, land in Darwin. I think put a bit of fuel in the tank and then get going to Sydney. Oh, is you, it have been, of... you have been informed. It's not. It's not. You're in the BBC, right? So it is economy, and you're yeah, six foot eight. So um, how do you think you're going to sleep? Uh, I'm going to ask the people around me if I can lay across them. <laughs> <laughs> just, just hope that someone's a massive cricket fan because I'd, I'd let an ex England fast bowler sleep on me. I'd be delighted. Uh, it depends it's on very, what, it's a very sexy, it's a very extremely sexy image, this, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you get, you get get onto the plane, and suddenly this enormous giraffe with an earring sits next to you. <laughs> it says, "Right, we've got twenty-two hours. Uh, do you mind awfully if I splay myself out across the seats? You'd be if you're sat there and you've got a twenty-two hour flight ahead of you. You're sat there, empty seat next to you. You're going, oh, please don't you please don't give me a crying baby, and please don't give me somebody freakishly tall. And then you see Stephen <laughs> Finn, gangly frame coming down with his earring flailing in the wind." You know, oh, fucking please don't sit next to me. Please don't sit next to me. Hi there, is this seat taken? Oh, fuck off. You'd be absolutely <laughs> fuming, wouldn't you? Now, is this one of these new flights, genuinely? So it goes, it's direct the whole way from England to Australia. Now, I don't want to freak you out here, Finney, but my, my good mate, the cricket club, is a pilot. And he explained to me how they do these flights now. So what they do is they take off in the UK. They fly up ridiculously high, higher than any plane's ever been before. And then they turn off all the engines and they glide for a few hours. So does that make you feel comfortable? You sleep well, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like being on a big glider, isn't it? I'd be be happy with that. Trust <laughs> me, these sleeping fear. pills I've got, they wipe you out completely. So anything <laughs> could happen, and I wouldn't know. My biggest fear would be in that situation, and they call me a lunatic, but it seems a rational fear that the issue is fuel, isn't it? That's why they've never done it before. So if they just ever so slightly miscalculate, you know, come out of the glide procedure 20 minutes, 30 minutes early. As you're coming into Darwin, yeah, there's a lot of sea there, which is fine. So you could make an emergency landing on sea and they might be able to do that. Fine. But then when they take you out of the rubber chutes and go down into the sea, because that is the, the, that's the safe protocol, isn't it? You're then in saltwater crocodile territory because yeah. off the coast of Darwin, that's where they team in their hundreds of thousands. So that's fine. There's no meat on me. If you were there, you'd be in a bit of trouble. But they're not going to come after me, are they? <laughs> I don't 
don't know. They might like the earring. I mean, you know, you've, you've not seen Treasure Island and all that. Well, I'll tell you I, what, Agus, Agus is a competent, um, a competent pilot. So if we do find ourselves in trouble, we'll just send him to the front of the plane. Well, look, I, I can't think of anything I would rather do than actually hand over my entire life to Agassiz's competence about 20 hours into a really long haul flight. <laughs> the, is, Go is for the, it, baby. This, off the coast of Darwin is the most dangerous place to swim in the planet, isn't it? Because there's, right, yeah. there's four things that can kill you, I think. I think there's sharks, there's yeah. saltwater crocodiles, there's sea snakes, yeah. and there's yes. box jellyfish as well. Yes. So yes. You, can, you can choose which one of those... Um, it's like being in an episode of Doctor Who. It's basically like like Sontarons, Daleks, Cybermen, and Sea mm. Devils, or whatever they are. Yeah. All just like you know, they're all there waiting for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you've got Agus, yeah. who's Doctor Who, and he'll sort you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, what, but what we're trying to say, Freddy, is we wish you a safe flight. That's what we're trying. I hope that we, message isn't getting lost really anywhere. Do. do you know what the best thing about it all is? I would rather run the risk of doing that than have to meet up with either of you face-to-face for the next two months. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd rather be... fly the plane myself for 22 hours than have to go and meet you to do a live podcast. <laughs> do, you know, do you know, genuinely, Dan, the, the sad thing is he's not lying as well. He's no, no, I'm no, serious. No. Deadly serious. No, no. No, he's, he's deadly serious, yeah. We've, we've come to know that. About yeah, him. sadly, sadly it's true. Uh, right, well, let's get into the cricket. <laughs> and uh, I suppose, speaking of Australia, I suppose we should mention the fact that they won the World T20. Well done, Australia. So it's crazy because literally just last week on this podcast, we were sat here laughing at the sorry state of the Australian cricket team and England are giving them an absolute thumping. And we talked about them being in the semi-finals. We talked about, how it's a bit of a lottery and, you know, any of the four teams left in the tournament could win. But I didn't really mean it. I thought it was England and Pakistan's to win and neither of them even made it to the final. And then what do Australians do in major tournaments? They have an annoying knack of winning winning cup finals. Winning uh, the toss. And winning the toss <laughs> as well. Uh, and we'll, get, we'll come on to that because, yeah, 12 of the 13 games that took part at that ground, uh, the team that won the toss, went on to win the game. Um, and it was a bit of an anticlimax at the end. When I saw New Zealand post 172, I thought, oh, this is going to be difficult. This I can't see Australia chasing this, but they chased it with seven balls to spare. And at one point, it looked like it was going to be a lot more. Um, it is annoyingly in their DNA, Australia, to be quite good at cricket and, and to win major tournaments. So many people stood out and were so, so impressive. Uh, you know, Hazelwood in particular in the final. Uh, David Warner, who came in, in some ropey form, actually, in, in T20 cricket, and then was absolutely brilliant. Um, but it's Zampa that I want to highlight from the from the Australian team because he's also annoyingly lovable, as Justin Langer called him uh, a hippie after the game. And if you've ever seen um, The Test, the Amazon series, uh, Adam Zampa comes across very, very well. We knew wrist spinners were going to be important, Finney, but uh, he, was, he was particularly impressive, wasn't he, Zampa, in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, he was a constant threat, wasn't he? Um, he managed to stifle the run rate. I think he was expensive in any of the games at all. Um, he's just really impressive. I think he showed that he's grown into his role that Australia have given him, supported by the captain and the people around him. And yeah, it was he did really, really well all the way throughout the tournament. I think Australia actually showed that well, I mean, winning the toss does matter, obviously, <laughs> as we as we saw in both semi-finals and the final. But also, the timing of when you hit your run of form in tournaments is actually really, really important too, because it's about how you pick momentum up through the tournament 
and finish as we saw and, and, and T20 cricket seems to bring the games closer together I think if you are playing T20 cricket well sorry 50 over cricket the best team will generally win over the course of 100 overs but in a shortened game one freak performance or one bad over can, can really swing the game and I think that's what happened yeah, absolutely. And it was, um, and one innings can change the game as well. At the halfway point, I was speaking to my good mate um, on WhatsApp during the game. And when uh, New Zealand posted that, totally messaged me saying, What do you reckon? Do you reckon they've got too many here? And I said, Yeah, I think they have. I think New Zealand are going to win this. I said, um, The only thing that could change it is if Warner, Finch, or Maxwell has a day out. And I put those three names. The name I didn't put on the list was Mitchell Marsh. <laughs> And what a time for him to score his highest ever T20 international score. Um, he's been in and out of the side, Mitchell Mars. He's had his injury problems. They obviously see a hell of a cricketer in him because in all formats, the, they're always desperate to get Marsh in the team and give him another go. And he finally he finally was worth the worth the call-up, wasn't he, Dan? It was. He's a really likeable guy, actually. I, I first came across him, I think, about 2015. And there's, a sort of, there's this weird perception in Australia about Marsh's and people call Mitchell, but, but Marshes <laughs> particularly, that they're, that they're put in the side unfairly. You know, Sean Marsh, whenever he gets in the side, causes massive issues on Australian Twitter. And Mitchell Marsh, they see it as some kind of nepotism and what have you. And he's actually just a really, he's a very likeable bloke with a very simple approach to the game, who famously said in 2019 that everybody hated him in Australia. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of delighted for him, actually, because he played brilliantly. When he came in, Finch had just got out. Uh, to uh, Trent Bolt and he hit his first ball for six which was brilliant I think he hit his mm. second ball for four and what it was actually was it was something that Crickviz had pointed out um, they haven't got everything right this tournament by the way Crickviz but they did they did get one thing that I thought was really interesting right which is if the, you look at this sort of you know the, we keep talking about the win-viz calculation the percentage likelihood of winning and when you lose the toss and then instantly, you know, your win of his goes down because on those pitches, that was where it was. But actually, it was the performance of the side batting first. Their win of his prediction regularly plummeted in the first six, seven, eight overs as they, their approach was a little bit more timid. And what Australia did when chasing was they didn't allow the timidity that, that New Zealand, and in fact, every other side had had batting first in those conditions, to impede the way they played. So they got to 80-odd in the first 10 overs, 80-something in the first 10 overs, through really aggressive batting. And Marsh was actually the instigator of that. Warner was still slightly trying to find his feet a bit. And Marsh came in after Finch got out and played this just this superb innings. It was real clarity. And if you looked in his eyes, I was I, call, I commentated that game, and I was really watching every time he, like, he hit a shot and he went down. And it's usually Warner who's got the slightly demonic eyes you know, you're going to bloody do this for the kangaroo and the and the emu and, you know, Farlap <laughs> and the biggie cream and all the kind of nonsensical nationalistic bullshit that emerges from Australia. And uh, Marsh just had these wonderfully clear, focused, but intense eyes. I mean, when he punched Warner's gloves, I thought he was punching them so hard, a bit like Devin Conway punching the bat and breaking his hand. But it was there was something there that made you think, right, they've got this. And they powered through that early stage. They showed no timidity. And it was a weird thing watching that World Cup unfold, actually, because the same mistake was happening every time. And it's one, I think, that's intrinsic to cricketers. And, and it doesn't matter how much you crunch the numbers and how much coaches say, 
go out, if you're batting first, you've got to go hard first. We kept seeing it in the IPL. You, what you make in the first six overs out in the UAE is so important, especially if you're batting first. And sides just didn't quite manage it. Now, New Zealand played, what, what was it? Did they get, they got five runs in the last three overs of the power play? Something mm. like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- that's where they lost the game. Yeah, to be honest, um, Martin got but to it's a hard twi- thing to twenty-eight of thirty-five, which I know probably uh, of all you know, guys, of all yeah. players, you know. Um, I, and, I just uh, looked at that, that New Zealand setting the total because I don't think they, unfor- you know, England who have been brilliant in white ball cricket in recent years have had this long batting lineup and they all just go all guns blazing and they know that if they get out there'll be somebody in the hutch who can hopefully you know have a day out and I just don't think New Zealand quite trusted. You know, but England fact... didn't do it either, Tobes. In, no, a, in the semi-final, no. actually, in the semi-final against New Zealand, they didn't do it either, and and they they fell into a similar trap against Sri Lanka, but the Joss Butler got them out of trouble. So mm. it was it was a, a sort of disease that afflicted every country. When England played Australia, they did it. The only side that didn't really was the West Indies against England, mm. and uh, and they got bowled out for fifty-four. So yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you it, don't it, win. Whichever way you play it. It's the pressure of the tournament as well, because we saw at the World Cup a few years ago that everybody had been posting ridiculous scores in the 12 months leading up to it. You know, 380 plays 365. When it came down to the tournament, suddenly 290 was a good score because of the pressure of a World Cup chase. It's very, very different to a a series where you've got another game in in two days' time. Yeah, Yeah, and the pitches as well. Yeah, the conditions, because uh, typically as a tournament goes on, um, the pitches become more tired, especially in places like Dubai, Abu Dhabi and Sharjah, where the block is small. So there's not that many wickets that you can reuse to keep them fresh for later on in the tournament. So naturally, in a, in a tournament in subcontinental conditions, the scores potentially sometimes taper off. But I also think that the reason why the first quarter of the game in both the semis and the final were... Uh, lost by the team batting first is because I think the conditions as the evening gets more dewy um, and the atmosphere takes over, it just becomes unbelievably easier to bat as the night goes on. So those first 10 overs, you do actually have to negotiate balls stopping in the pitch. You have to negotiate a two-paced nature of a wicket, which is why we saw Martin Guptill, Kane Williamson at the beginning of his innings struggle to find any rhythm with hitting through the line of the ball. But then for some reason, as that atmosphere changes and the dew comes down slightly and the ball skids on, you then saw what everyone did in the last 30 overs of the game. It's like watching a different wicket to what we saw the first 10 overs played on. And I think that whether it was TV rights or something that meant that the tournament had to be shown at a certain time, but had the tournament been played or started an hour later, then I think it might have been fairer conditions for everyone. Yeah, I completely that is, agree. See, that, but that, that's quite, that, that is a... a a radical solution, which I think is a good one. It's a, a, a pity's come up with that because everyone else has said, play it earlier. Play all the games as day games instead. But actually, the, the right solution was to try and push it out. I mean, it gets pretty a late night, in the UAE. A night, night game, yeah. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but I mean, and, it, and it does it does make it late in the UAE. It makes, you know, <laughs> makes it post-11 o'clock sort of thing. Mm. But that probably was the right solution so that everyone was playing with due. I guess the issue, when you look at the, the history of internationals in Dubai, though, batting first, batting second is pretty much 50-50. Yeah. It was in this tournament that it was particularly mm. the case, whether it's the time of year, I was whether it's that say much time of due, year, some yeah. year, plus time of day might have made the difference. But it did slightly make it 
I mean, you know, if you were commentating on it, you kind of went, toss, oh, I know what I'm going to watch. And we did see the same game mm. sort of over and over again. There, there were some noble exceptions, but for the most part, it was actually sort of the same game, which I know it shouldn't detract from the spectacle. It shouldn't detract from the brilliance of Mitchell Marsh's innings, and it doesn't, you know, and Warner, the redemption for Marsh, the brilliance of Warner who came in as, as his wife, Candice, has kept on tweeting out, wasn't he in poor form at the start of the tournament? And he's player of the tournament by the end of it, and fair play. But it did mean that it felt just a bit programmed. And mm. T20 doesn't want to be like that. T20 needs to be an entertainment that we can't predict. And there was a sort of just a little bit of a danger that it became a bit predictable. Yeah, and also I think the, there's usually a giant killing in a World Cup somewhere at some stage. I don't no one even got close, did they? I don't think no. there was there was Scotland, nothing that, Scott, Scotland beat Bangladesh in, yeah, the, in the preliminaries. The that was it. Had, wasn't that it? was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the prelims, sorry, in the prelims, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, in the actual tournament, there was nothing that came close to a giant killing when T twenty cricket generally is the is the um format where you do see smaller mm. teams or less experienced teams beating a big team. And, and for some reason it just didn't happen in this World Cup. Look, it was it was a very enjoyable tournament because I love watching cricket. But uh, I think they'll hope they, <laughs> I think they'll um they'll have learnt a few things, um, taken a few things from this tournament that they'll can put I, into the next twenty twenty World Cup. Can I just just say one thing about David Warner though that that I kept on being told that you know he was the the bull and uh, Mitchell Marsh was the bison, the bison and the bull. Mm. There was this great sort of like strange imagery uh, coming out of Australia. Not 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 a kangaroo or a wombat in sight, but David Warner does not remind me of a bull. I mean, David Warner is the spitting image of a warthog. He just is. You, if you take a picture of a warthog down, nothing wrong with a warthog. They're very noble creatures, by the way. But he looks like a warthog. It's the <laughs> moustache and the hair and the eyes, set of the eyes and the ears. And they're very beautiful and noble creatures, warthogs. But he's not a bull. <laughs> Bulls are really big. Do you know what I mean? And that... Warner is... Not that. Why, why can't they? Don't they understand animals? <laughs> well, you, you, well, now you may not remember this, Dan, because one of the very first times I ever met you and you and I were working on our uh, Yahoo Sport cricket show all those oh, years yeah. ago, that horrible moment where somebody introduced me to Norcross and my life's been fucking miserable Sorry. ever since. Um, That's not my fault, actually. No, I'm not going to apologise. It's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you said to me, we were talking about David Warner on that show, and I think you said... David Warner, he'll always be a warthog to me. And then you and I proceeded to often sing the song Billy Joel, She's Always a Woman, but changing the lyrics to He's Always a Warthog to Me. So I'm, to glad, me. I'm glad you've not let go of that comparison all these years later. No, I'm glad to hear your constantly developing. it's because he's developing. a spitting image of a warthog. I mean, look, when we put this podcast out, probably we shouldn't do it because it enrage all of Australia, but you put a, a picture of a warthog next to David Warner, the noble beast that is the warthog. Mm. It's a very noble beast. And beautiful to boot. Yeah, You're, it's it's extra, It's uncanny. It's like the capybaras that all look like Raphael Nadal. <laughs> and uh, if you there's a, there's actually a website devoted to it called Capybaras that look like Raphael Nadal. And if and you if you go and Google it now, you will laugh your tits off. I've seen that. And eagles that look like Arsene Wenger's a good one as well. There's a correct, whole website yeah. dedicated <laughs> yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah. You two have like too much time on your hands. Jesus. <laughs> it's not too have much. Have you not got really. work it's to exactly do? the right amount. No, we don't have work to do because you've taken it all. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you can keep your grubby hands off my mid-morning Radio X show as well, Finny. Don't even think about it. I need that gig, all right, mate? We, we can't all go and play franchise cricket for a few years and top up the coffers that I. way. <laughs> um, well, I do want to talk about New Zealand because um, we were very upfront on the Zero Ducks given social media accounts that we were supporting New Zealand in the final, not just because they were playing the old enemy, but because you always want New Zealand to win uh, because New Zealand are the loveliest team in the world. And... Dan mentioned it, but some of the problems um, were avoidable. Devon Conway missing the final could have been a huge difference. We talked about those early overs. Well, it would have been fascinating to see Conway, whether he would have done anything differently in those opening overs. He broke his hand. He broke his little finger, punching his cricket bat when he got out uh, in the semi-final. And he'll be thinking, what a moron. But I'm sure he woke up very, very gutted the morning of the final, not being able to take part and probably felt pretty rubbish afterwards as well. Not the first uh, New Zealander to punch something he shouldn't after Jesse Ryder punched through a window in a bar in New Zealand, which is still framed as well at that bar. It's still, it's got a frame right that says Jesse's window. Um, is that, Dan, are they, are they left the, are they left the broken, is it the broken window that they framed or yeah, have they put a whole new window in? <laughs> I think they've, re- they've repaired the window, but I think the whole window has got a frame around it called Jesse's window now, which is a great bit of PR for them. Finney, you've obviously played the game at, uh, at the very highest level. Are there some players that you want to stay out the way of when they've just got out? Well, it's either you stay out the way and disappear onto the balcony or you um, you sort of just find a quiet corner in the dressing room and put your head down and sort of sit there quietly and just watch out the corner of your eye as they tear things up in the in their corner of the dressing room um, because and then try and not giggle so they don't hear you. Um, because if they hear you, then they flip the lid at you as well. Yeah, you, you do get the odd angry bloke. I mean, I've been in dressing rooms where people have thrown a helmet and it's just missed someone, and then it's all kicked off in the dressing room because someone, the, the other person, saying, what do you think you're doing? Don't throw a fucking helmet at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then people square up against each other. It's actually less lesser done now than it was, um, than it was 10 years ago, say. But yeah, you get some funny reactions when people get out. Actually, do you know what? We should put this out to people. Please tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod and message us on Instagram as well, Zero Ducks Pod, because I bet there's some club cricketers who've got some wonderful stories of people losing their temper when they got <laughs> out. Uh, we've got a guy at our cricket club, and he won't mind me mentioning this. Funnily enough, it's the pilot, actually, Roddy. Um, he's Scottish, which explains a lot. But um, I have never seen a man angrier than when Roddy gets out. And it is because I'm always down at 10 or 11. If Roddy's out, I'm often padding up and I just hear a wicket fall and I just go, oh no, I'm trapped. I'm, I'm, I'm in the changing room and Roddy's going to come back here in a minute. And I've seen him do all sorts. He once jumped on his helmet until it was flat as a pancake and then put it in the <laughs> bin. I've seen him pick up somebody's bike and throw it against the wall. Um, I, saw, I, I saw him um, get out at Sunbury away in a 2020 game. He got run out actually. Uh, and he shouted the C-bomb so loudly from the dressing room that you know in films when like all the all the birds take off and disappear from the trees it was it was it was honestly like that the sea bomb just echoing around both the pitches they've got at Sunbury as well Dan in your playing days you must have seen some some club cricketers lose their head well I saw one I think have a nervous breakdown actually Uh, and (laughs) and it was it was what I know. We shouldn't laugh because you know it. It it it, it was brutal. Um, so it's a lovely, a lovely guy called Ian, and he'd been in my side for many, many years. And he's one of those classic people that you picked. Oh, 
Finny's cat. But look at Finny's cat. I'm sorry, it's distracted me from chat. She looks straight down oh. the lens at us. Hello. Yeah, is she that, did. Is that, hello. Is it a British blue? Have I asked yeah, this before? Is, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's a beautiful do, it's a whatever you do, do not type British Blue into Google. I implore you oh. for listening to this podcast. Very different <laughs> things will come up. Look really? Okay. She's adorable. Oh, she's so lovely. Anyway, sorry, Dan, you're telling us about this guy having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, so, yeah. So, Chappers, bless him. And the thing about Chappers was that it, it came into society. He's one of those guys that was, you know, you'll have him at every club who's incredibly reliable and in that he's available every week because he loves his cricket. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of people who love their cricket, they're not very good at it. I count myself as one of those. Uh, but I was captain. <laughs> so, you know, you got the captain and then you have the person who's really not very... And you have, the, the strength of a side is determined by how many of those people they have to have in them, their team in club yeah. cricket. And I used to have to have three or four. And Ian was one of them. And I got him opening the batting because a year before he'd had a couple of surprise 40s that came to what where the fuck has that come from? He said, yeah. <laughs> He's developing into quite a batter. He's basically a front foot biffer. And um, so I stuck him up top of the order at the start of the season. And he got, his scores were 0-0-4, right? And he arrived that day looking thunderous. And he said, Dan, if I get out for naught today, I'm never playing cricket again because it'll be seven ducks in a row. I said, seven. What do you mean? Hang on. Won't be seven because you got four five weeks ago. He says, yeah, but that's because our umpire didn't give me out LBW and I was stone dead. <laughs> and then I then I edged one down the third man and then I was out next ball. <laughs> so I'm counting that as a duck. I thought, you're a weirdo. What yeah. do you mean you counted that as a duck? Every every batter goes, yep, got away with that. Oh, yeah, exactly, edged. Yeah. Well, that was a beautiful late cut down the third man. <laughs> He's got... He's, he's not normal here. He's, he's not deluded. He's like, he's got a sense of truth and self. And uh, so, oh, Christ, I don't need you to give up. Because you know, I just need 11 players on a part. Whether you get naught or not, it's neither here nor there. It's just, you know, <laughs> I've got 11. Stand at mid-wicket, stop the ball occasionally. So he goes out the bat, opens the batting, first ball, wafts, madly misses. Second ball, cleaned up. He then walks off and he took off one glove, threw it, miles, walked on three or four more paces, took off his second glove, threw it, miles, walked on three or four more paces, paused, took his pad off, front pad, threw it, miles. <laughs> so, so he went through the whole lot, box, didn't strip off the jock strap or anything like that. <laughs> but there was... Like there was nothing left of him, really. <laughs> Emotionally or bank, literally, yeah. Got in the car, sat in the passenger seat, <laughs> right? And his wife came up to me and said, I think I'm going to have to take him home. We had batted first. This was like, this was. This was one thirty-three <laughs> in the afternoon, and I was down to ten men already because my opening batter had had a nervous breakdown after getting a seventh duck that wasn't even a seventh duck. I mean, Christ, this game is a killer, isn't it? There must be so many wonderful stories. Please tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod or send us a message on Instagram. We'll go through them next week. I'll put a post out as well. Toby, can I just just ask one thing? Because I asked it on WhatsApp, but I didn't see if Finney responded. Because we were talking about talking about players who who like get angry and do daft things when they get out. But a few years back, I can't remember the exact year. Our producer will hopefully fling it through on the WhatsApp chat. 
uh, or the Zoom chat incident. 2011. 2011. Sri Lanka at Lords. That's right. So Matt Pryor reputedly gets out, hurls a glove, it smashes a window and it sprinkles on an MCC member, a female MCC member, which is a rarity because obviously MCC is taking quite a long time to come into the 20th century, let alone the 21st. And it turned out that there was this mad labyrinthine explanation for what actually happened, which wasn't that Matt Pryor had been really angry, but he just gently tossed a glove. The legs that he hit to it, it's like, you know, those like, those things where you like, like set a ball running and then it goes around and it knocks something onto something onto something and then a giant bear's beak comes down and hits an owl's head and that then sets off a chain reaction for God knows what else that had unfortunately resulted in some glass falling on an MCC member's head. Finny, did you play in that game when uh, yeah, I lacerated did. a woman? I did, and whatever the party line was in 2011 is is still my line now. <laughs> you total worse. Yeah. You're, you're getting, you're, like it's, it's people like you that stop us finding out who killed. No, John I remember reading that statement and thinking it's wholly accurate that we don't. Yeah, that's it. I'm happy with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Googling it at the moment and there's a wonderful photo of Matt Pryor down in the members bit, apologising to the members below. <laughs> just it, the ultimate insult into injury. You've just got out, you've just smashed a window and now you've got to go and apologise to the fucking members at Lords. <laughs> to be fair though, right, so the window that did get broken was that it wasn't frosted glass or anything. So the members who sat on the middle balcony at Lords could look over their right shoulder and see just straight into the dressing room. So everyone just naked, like, I mean, not all at the same time, that'd be strange, but uh, actually to and from the showers, potentially. Yeah. But there, I mean, we're going off on a massive tangent here, but there are a well, couple you of are, areas but, yeah. at Lords. Yeah, I am. Well, I've experienced it a number of times. <laughs> there are a couple of areas at Lords where you can see naked professional cricketers. Really? This is one of the spots. Yeah. Because you look over your right shoulder and I think they might have frosted it out now. I mean, I wouldn't know. It's not my ground anymore, but they um, they frosted it out over um, over our right shoulder. But you used to get people like at the end of the day, you'd be stood there just drying yourself down like that. And, and there'd be someone like some bloke literally just stood there looking in like that. <laughs> so and you'd blokes. wave at him completely naked. Uh, it was generally, generally men, yeah. And then the second point of contact that you can have with a completely nude cricketer is there's a walkway, a bridge between the pavilion and the Allen stand right outside the dressing room. So you walk through the door that says players and officials only, but some members are allowed to go down there to cut across to the Allen stand because that's always also a member's pavilion. So at the end of the day, the cricketers have to walk down that corridor to get to the showers, which are just down that corridor on the right. So if you time it right at around 6.15 at the end of a test match, you'll be able to see all your favourite cricketers with no clothes on down that corridor. Wow. Well, if you time like, it right, I think if you, if you time it wrong, <laughs> well, it depends. It depends. Depend. Some people have lists they want to tick things off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 there'll, there'll be there'll be there'll be people listening. There'll be people listening to this podcast who are going to take advantage of that information, and they'll they'll, they'll they'll bump into a naked. I don't I don't know. Rory Burns in a few in a few months' time when we're next playing yep, Lords. Tick him like, off your list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even I, hope I you don't mind. Fully the me. autograph hunter. But I wasn't aware that there were cock hunters out there. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, yes. I've seen John Simpson's cock. That's yes. what we call yes. drugs testers. I can, I, I, can, I can cross that off. 
And I'll get him maybe to uh, sign it. I'll take the picture and maybe get him to sign it. Two birds in one stone. <laughs> here's, here's one that people can get in touch on social media as well, is the nichest cricketer's penis that you've seen. <laughs> oh, God. What have you become? What's going on? I once saw the penis of a man who only made four appearances for Northamptonshire in the late 80s. Yeah, that would be, you know, feel free to get in touch. Feel free to get in touch with that. Uh, we went on a huge digression. We were talking about people getting angry when they get out at the cricket. It's not like us to go on a huge diversion, but there we are. Um, a couple of, I, I, now, I was thinking of other high-profile famous ones. So there's the Matt Pryor. Well, Gen- yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> not not high-profile Willies. High-profile Willies. Willies. Do you get like? Do you get double points for seeing either of the Willies, Peter or David Willies? Oh, that's, is that, oh, is Willies, that, Willie, that's... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give yeah. bonus points for that. That's a good. I mean, Decock, Decock, Decock. Quinton Decock's got to be worth a lot. Ian Bell. Got to be. Yes, lots. Yeah, of, yeah. 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 <laughs> Mark Wood. Mark. Mark Wood. I mean, yeah. If you can see Mark Wood in a state of arousal, then that's that's. I mean, if you win the game. <laughs> the cock and both willies and you've got their autographs next to a picture of them naked coming out of the yeah. the, the lord showers yeah that's got to be worth a lot hasn't it jake ball i mean there's lots to there's lots. <laughs> <laughs> um, well other high profile instances i wanted to talk about uh we've got ben stokes famously punching a locker um, I remember seeing Mark Ramprakash lose it live on Sky. This is years ago in the domestic T20 because you, you now this is one thing I wanted to speak to Finney about actually because Ramps got out and you know he's a man who by all accounts has got a temper you know that is capable of flying off the handle occasionally. He got out. He went and sat in the dugout after the uh, after he got out and the cameraman, braver cameraman than me by the way, just <laughs> stood there with a camera in his face and Ramps very vocally asked the cameraman to uh, go and stand somewhere else live on Sky at about four in the afternoon and the commentators <laughs> had to apologise for any coarse language you might have heard. Um, that is one thing that is brutal in international cricket. I see it all the time. Some poor batsman will go out there, you know, it will be someone like Keaton Jennings who's England career is hanging on by a thread and he goes out there and he gets another low score. He gets, you know, a golden duck or something. And then you have to walk off. And there's that cameraman who nowadays is on like a Segway or something, just with the camera right up in front of you. Finney, you must have walked off at times getting low scores for England with that cameraman. You can hear them breathing. You must be like, come on, mate, do us a favour. Yeah, I mean, the the closest they ever probably got to me is when I scored my Test 50 in Dunedin. <laughs> oh, fucking um, hell. I didn't even see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I could see it coming a mile off. I didn't expect it there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah the, um, they, they do get right up in your grill. And, and yeah, I remember seeing that when Rams kicked off at the bloke. But, yeah, like, it looks close on the TV and, and it is really close in real life. And, and yeah, they're just right up in your grill. Um, but you know that if you do anything or you shout at them or anything, it's just going to go viral on TikTok or something. So <laughs> you don't need that shouting and swearing down the camera. So you just put your head down and, and save your burst of emotion until you get into the dressing room. That is that's a hell of a gig, isn't it? What, what do you do for a living? I'm the guy that films devastated batsmen right up close when they're walking <laughs> off the cricket pitch. It's it, a hell it, of a it, Jerry, it reminds me, it's, it's a little bit like the, the people who used to collect the heads of people who were guillotined during the French Revolution, the trickateurs. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in, a, in a sense, I mean, you know, with, with Finney, it's probably less damaging, isn't it? Because you walk up, there's no expectation you're going to score any runs, except, you know, 
if you're at was it sorry where was it Dunedin Hamilton yeah Dunedin Hamilton yeah. uh, Dunedin it's actually called University Oval Dunedin I think they planted a tree in my um, you know to, <laughs> to commemorate my high score <laughs> was it a great sequoia was it a, just, gi- a huge giant yeah. tree to remember Finney <laughs> by just just outside <laughs> off stump where you had been leaving the ball alone for two hundred deliveries yeah, but do you know what I mean I mean in in, in, the, in the case of Finney's that. It, it, it's not really like the, what there should really be is a camera that follows him around when he's bowled a shit ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, those, somebody, you know they on, zoom like, in on you. Yeah, you do know that they really, zoom in. But, but someone should run onto the pitch like when you're being completely walloped by John Simpson, your mate, and, <laughs> and taken down <laughs> and horribly and headingly. Yeah. So, then someone should just run on and look at you as another six is pumped over the back of your head. And then well, you've got the spider because... cam now, haven't you? In some grounds, you've got the spider yeah. cam, which yeah. does get down in, like, right down in your grill as you're walking back to your mark. Mm. Um, I know they have it in the IPL a lot, and and that you can see that coming there. You see the shadow like coming down towards you. You're a bit like, what the fuck's that? Yeah. And then it, it's just there in your face, and you're like, oh, which actually, which, which actually leads me to ask you because you know, like in football, it's become day ago that every single footballer always talks behind their hand because they're terrified of lip readers, you know. So, are you guys doing it? There's a little, there's a little hint of it in T20 occasionally when I see Morgs talking to a couple of players. There's just a little bit of sort of not being too visible. Have you have you got to that stage of paranoia yet? Or, or no, I've I've not played in big enough games on TV for the last three or four years to have to worry about that. So, <laughs> so you just no, say, yeah, it doesn't just, concern me. Wide outside off stump and see what he does with it. <laughs> 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 you're, you're huge overestimating the intelligence of fast bowlers, Dan. Well. They don't think about where they're running into bowl next. They just run in and the arms flail around and something comes out. There's no intelligence <laughs> behind the decisions at all. There was a, we've talked about this before, that everything that happens now, you know, the poor players, there's no hiding place because it gets replayed on the big screen about five times every time you do something wrong. But there was a very beautiful moment uh, the other day when uh, Sam Billings, you know, back in the England side, a poor guy, we've had him on the podcast, in and out of the England side all the time. Just basically somebody uh, comparing his stats to Jason Roy unfavourably on the big screen. And so they just basically showed how Sam Billings doesn't score as many runs and not at as good a rate as Jason Roy head to head. It was on the big screen and they showed the stat and then they just cut to Sam Billings, who was clearly sat in the dugout just reading these stats in front of all his teammates. But he, uh, he had a laugh about it, bless Sam Billings. Uh, very quickly, that does actually lead me on to one final thing I do want to talk about. We should talk about the um, the England side, who... It's hard to say it was a disappointing tournament. It's disappointing because they're the best in the world and they didn't win. But we spoke about it last week. 2020, statistically, it's a bit of a lottery. You're going to have a bad day at some point in the tournament. You need a bit of luck somewhere along the way. Owen Morgan. So he talked very well after the England defeats. And, you know, he talked about how much he loves leading the side and he's looking forward to another 2020 World Cup just around the corner. I want to play devil's advocate here because we all love Owen Morgan and we've sung his praises literally within the last couple of weeks on this podcast. But... Should he have a permanent place, a guaranteed place in this T20 side for the World Cup next year? He's averaging 17.7 in his last 40 2020 games. He's got a strike rate of 119, which isn't much in the modern era. Uh, Ben Stokes is coming back into the side. What if a Will Jacks or a Billings or a Banton or a Joe Clark or somebody goes absolutely berserk in franchise cricket between now and the World Cup next year? And Morgan's got no right to be in there as a batsman. 
Can we have a sort of Mike Brearley of 2020 captain in the side, Daniel Norcross? Yeah, I think if there's any format that you could have that in, it would probably be T20, actually, in some ways, because uh, he's just got this extraordinary feel and understanding for what... Well, I say extraordinary feel and understanding. It's, it's worked out, isn't it? With, with fine definition, with the number crunches. He believes in those numbers. He believes in those matchups, And he's invariably right. So he is actually worth a great deal to the side. And, and, and you gave his numbers there. He's striking at 119. If you've got a poor average, but he's striking at 119, you're not doing too badly because you're getting out, by the way. So that's one ball each time that you've got to get rid of. It, it's that Johnny Bairstow's not got a great average mm. in the last 20-odd games uh, playing T20 internationals and no one's questioning him, for example. So, no, I, I, I don't think that Owen Morgan uh, has got any, should have any concerns. I don't think any England, England fans should have any concerns about Owen Morgan's base in the side. He, he is an extremely important member of that side. He determines the way that they play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with him continuing, certainly. Obviously, you know, if his form goes completely off a cliff and he can't see the ball anymore, it's absolutely helpless. <laughs> then, yeah, I mean, no one's going to be indispensable. Like, like you or I could be the greatest captains in T20 history, but we're not getting in the England team. <laughs> he's, but he's, but he's not, he's not in that. He's not in that space. Maybe so, this is yeah, where this is I'm, Finney's way of getting back into the England team. Finney, you just need to become a great thinker. But just you need to he be is a great thinker, a great thinker a great of the thinker. game, and a great leader of men. You just need to get in there purely for your tactical nous. I'm too sarcastic to do that. <laughs> he he <laughs> said whilst giving the most sarcastic shot. answer ever. Yeah, if someone gets out playing a shocking shot, you go, oh, shot, mate. So. <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky, Laconic mate. and sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, mate, okay, maybe. Okay, scrap that idea, Finny. Scrap that. I never, you know, never mind. You know, if you've been born Australian, how many times do you think you'd have said champ in your life? Oh, I, yeah, I'm champion, a champion. Lot. Oh, yeah. champion. <laughs> oh, you must have done that. Champ. Yeah. What, what is actually what is the English equivalent of, of champ? Mate. Right, mate. All right, mate. Kiddo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mate people off. If I if I don't know your name, I'll call you mate. <laughs> yeah. That's so when that's I saw Toby for the first time a couple of weeks ago, I went, all right, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know, you know. He did actually. Yeah, yeah he, did. he did. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, and, and it's yeah. continued. We've only been doing this yeah. podcast together for what feels like about five years. But yeah, thanks for it, mate. Much appreciated. Uh, well, thank you very much. Lovely to see you both, chaps. Uh, if you are wondering, by the way, um, we haven't touched on the Azim Rafiq update because at the time of recording, uh, Azim Rafiq is due to give evidence to the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee uh, tomorrow. So we're not avoiding the issue. Uh, it's just at the moment we're waiting to hear what happens and this uh, committee hearing. On, uh, on Tuesday, the 16th of November. Finney, I'm going to let you, um, you know, carry on packing or whatever it is and uh, look forward to your sleeping pills and your long flight and then your penicillin at the other end. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll give you an update. I might tune in on the beach this time next week. Unbelievable. Um, a bit of jealousy for you if we do it this. What would it be about 10, 11 o'clock in the morning down there? So yeah, I'll, I'll be on Coogee Beach. Unbelievable. And uh, can I just confirm that I've got the delicious job of joining the Test Match Special Team at the Ashes. Uh, it, it, it is confirmed now that I will be commentating on the first Test Match of Brisbane uh, in London in the middle of the night. So uh, I, I may well be on air with Finney, but he will be, mercifully for him, 
10,000 miles away yes. with a slight sound delay. <laughs> and I'll see him on Zoom, smiling at me in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, gazing out wondrously at a variety of different cricket grounds, while I, at 3.30 in the morning, self-medicating on heavy quantities of caffeine, have got to sound enthusiastic. And I really will be. I would be very enthusiastic about being up in the middle of the night, watching the ashes and listening to you there. You total bastard. <laughs> Down, Did you know you how smug I'm looking right now? Yeah. Yes, I can see how smug you're looking right now. I love you for it, though, Finny. I love you for it. Basically, you know, the work, yes. Basically, Dan, you've got all the work. You've got all the work without any of the perks, essentially. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, yes, you say that, but I can come home to my wife every night, whereas, <laughs> whereas Finney will be forced to have to Skype his beloved, mm. and, they, and who who knows what she'll be getting up to in the uh, in the weeks that he's away. Yeah, well, whereas, we've got that uh, we got that party on Saturday round, Finney, haven't we, Dan? <laughs> Looking forward to that, actually. Yeah, she did mention oh, that. Yes. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so he's Thursday. Thursday. What what time is it on <laughs> Thursday? You're going just to, just so as we know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't need people to know which flight I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, chaps, chat to you next week. Have a good one, Finny. Have a safe flight. Thank you. Love Send you our love to the saltwater crocodiles. See you in a bit. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.